Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Support the podcast on Patreon by joining the It's All Cobblers to Me fan club. Every month, you'll receive access to exclusive bonus content, such as our Meet the Staff series, hear our player interviews before anyone else, and be invited to regular meetups. By joining the fan club, you'll be helping us to continue our sponsorship of NTFC women's player Abby Bruin and enable us to keep the podcast and all our other content going to the high standards you expect. To join the fan club, go to patreon.com forward slash cobblers to me. Brain again, and he's got it! Gavin was closing in. Oh, Gavin has scored! Abdul Osman against Brad Jones to put Liverpool out of the cup and not out to three! Hello Cobblers fans and welcome to your fourth instalment of Cobblers to Me for the week as we pump up the volume, crank up the incitement and tease you with anticipation for the forthcoming 2019-20 season which starts on Saturday at home to Walsall. Joining Neil and I for this instalment is Jeremy Casey and James Hennigan from the Northampton Chronicle and Echo and Mark Webber, the host of BBC Radio Northampton's Cobblers show, all of which can be consumed every Thursday just like this podcast as it happens. Welcome to you all, good gents. Hello. How are you doing? Very well, thanks. Hello. Good stuff. So then, let's get straight into it then, guys. Last season wasn't one of the best for us Cobblers fans. Uh, do you see this year being any different? If we start with you, Jeremy? Um, yeah, I certainly hope so. I mean, it's, it's every season you think it's going to be better than the last, you know, you, you hope for improvement. So, um yeah, I think I think the players they brought in are of you know the proven ability have, have got proven track records, and it's just about hopefully now whether the manager can gel them together and get them playing in an attractive manner, which is what we all want to see. Mark, eternal hope uh, is what you have to have when you're a Cobblers fan, don't you? Um, you, you must believe in Santa Claus more than anything. Um, if the truth is, I, I don't know at this stage. What I've seen is a manager who's determined to do things his way, determined to change the way the team plays, has made some decent purchases, in my view. But I, I think we have to wait. I think we genuinely have to wait. And, and I'm not a, a man who says 10 games. I think we have to wait longer than that before we know whether Keith Girl's got uh, got a, a good side here. 
That sounds quite sensible. Um, you can tell that you're not from Northampton, Mark. Thank you for that. <laughs> James, you watch them every single week. What, what do you think? No, yeah, I, I echo those thoughts. I think whenever the new season comes around, it doesn't matter what has happened before, the excitement levels are already always up. And we always think this is going to be the season. And I think what Keith Keller's done and what you give him a lot of credit for is, is the fact that he, you know, he's identified the areas that he feels need improving and he's gone out there, he's been ruthless, he's got what he wants. Um, and now this is obviously his squad and he's he's got no excuses, but I echo the thoughts, Mark, that he needs the time because when you sign 12 new players and counting, you know, you're going to need a, a bit of time to, to gel them all together. That's it, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, we've had, what, four managers in the space of about five minutes over the last three seasons? <laughs> yeah. It's got to be time, hasn't it, just to give somebody, this hopefully being Keith Curl, that somebody, yeah. time to just do what he wants to do as a manager with our football club? I think so. Um, I, I think that has been the problem. Uh, look, I'm not saying that if we'd stuck with Dean Austin, we'd be in the championship by now. I'm not saying that if we stuck with Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, we'd we'd be there. I think, I think that's taking no. us red. But I, I think, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. All right, I'll pick another name. Uh, there's plenty to choose from. Um, yeah. No, look, what what needs to happen now is whoever is in, whoever it was going to be, they need. 18 months in my view and I and I hope that everybody's fine with that. Uh in Keith Curl, I think you have a manager who can deliver uh, and what Keith Curl has done is he's brought in players with some a special attribute which very much matches his attributes which I don't think has been picked up on yet. He has individuals in that team who have something massive to achieve in their careers including himself. He said, if I don't get promotion on my CV, I look bad. He's brought in Matty Warburton, who has gone from school teacher, semi-pro footballer. And this, to be fair, will probably be the best crack that he'll have at going into full-time football. He's got to prove to us that he's good enough. He's got to prove to the league he's good enough. Uh, And there are a couple of other examples like that. And genuinely, I think, because he has a team of individuals with such high individual aims, I think that's a big thing. And I don't think that was in the team last year or the season before. That was going to be my next question, to be fair, in in terms of the fact that he has overhauled the squad. We've seen a lot of old favourites go. Uh, David Buchanan, John Jarrow Tool, obviously fan favourites. Um, and he's replaced them with players that Curl says has the so-called right attitude and mentality for his squad. Now, whether he's just trying to sort of spin and, and sort of say, you know, rather than say the same old thing, which is that I'm the manager and I want my own players, or whether he means it, I don't necessarily know. I mean, what, what do you guys think? Do you think he's genuinely gone and changed the the attitude of the players that he has in his dressing room, or is it just spin? I, I think he has. I think that has been one of the things he's really focused on. And I think you could talk about attributes of individual players and their own qualities and everything. But I think character and leadership and that experience was missing last year. And I think the one difference you can really pinpoint with players he's brought in and the, the squad that's there now is that, that leadership. There are players there who have been there, have done it. They know what it feels like. They know what it takes to win promotions, to be at the top of the league, to be under pressure in, in high-pressure situations. Um, and, you know, they're, they're proper leaders. And, and I think you, you could argue that that wasn't the case last season. And 
you know, above all else, that is the one major change in this squad. You, you can talk about individual players and different styles of play and everything, but I think that having the right character and having the experience will, will count an awful lot this season, and I think we'll, we'll see that on the pitch. Yeah, I think that's right. The character thing was a big thing with, with every signing they brought in over the summer, and obviously um, going down and speaking to the players when they arrived, there was definitely a feeling that they were they were they were there, and they had something. As as Mark said, and and James, they had they have got something to prove, and they're really keen to come here and, and, and achieve something. Um, and also, when on a couple of the signings, Alan McCormack and uh, Nicky Adams, I mean Keith Curl basically admitted it, they'll be running the changing room for him. You know, he'll be running the club and running the team. But on a day-to-day basis, he was saying that those two players will run the dressing room for him and and they'll keep uh, a lid on anybody getting too big for their boots and they'll make sure that the atmosphere and the attitude in the change room is right at all times, from from the moment they're walking out the door for training to the moment they leave. Um, I think that's going to be a big thing. And as James says, the character is is going to be a big issue. And and with someone like Alan McCormack, who's obviously a big character and, and probably quite a fearsome character, to go on the wrong side of. I think that's the sort of player the Cobbers have been missing for a, a long time, really, not not just the last couple of years. Um, and it, it'd be good to see someone out there on the pitch and when things are going wrong to, to pick the team up because regularly over the last two, three seasons, you can visibly see the team wilt. When things start going against them, you can see the shoulders go. You can see the team slump into this sort of, oh, no, here we go again. And and I think that with the players I brought in this year, that won't be allowed to happen. I, I seem to remember, Neil, Chris Wilder saying something very similar about how the players, you know, Mark Richards, David Buchanan, controlled that dressing room for him back in 2015 and 16, the, the years that Wilder did so well with us. Absolutely. It's the look at any successful team and ultimately what they've got in there is people not afraid to, to call the other, their team members out and stuff and look at the successful Man United team under Ferguson. Now, a large part of it was down to Ferguson. But he had the likes of Gary Neville in there, who's not afraid to say his piece, sometimes too much, obviously. Um, but there's, there's people throughout every successful team. And we haven't had that for at least a couple of years. We've had the likes of you know, Kevin Van Veen and Matt Crooks. And while they've got clearly got a lot of footballing ability, would you class them necessarily as, as winners and that sort of do or die players? You, you wouldn't. They're a luxury and, and you can't afford that in our division. I would agree. With that. I mean, I, I think it's right. I think it's not necessarily players being selfish or anything like that. It's just they're concentrating on their own game. They're concentrating on themselves. And and I think to be a successful team, you need players who think about more than that, think about the actual whole team and, and want to drive the team on. And uh, perhaps the team hasn't had that for the last couple of years. And, and hopefully now they will have. I think too much of uh, that weight last year, and I'm probably going to say this because I'm his mate, aren't I? Uh, too much <laughs> of that weight last year was carried by Bukes. You know, Bukes was always yeah, yeah. the person yeah. who came forward and fronted up and, and, and tried to get that dressing room in order. Uh, and, and quite frankly, one person can't do that. You need no. two or three. And, and I now see that in what you have in that squad. I, I see two or three, possibly four people who could actually stand up in that dressing room and, and have their say if something's going wrong. But it was interesting. I went to the first home friendly Sheffield Wednesday. And one thing that if I, if I was to pick one word to describe 
what I thought about that game after that game. I wasn't worried about the scoreline at all. I was actually worried about communication because I was looking around at a, quite a few players there who weren't communicating with each other and a few getting frustrated. Now, let's put that down to the fact they've only just come together and there's a heck of a lot of them. So let's ignore that Sheffield Wednesday game. But it was a worry that we were going down the same old path for about 90 minutes in that, in that first game. But I think we're getting there now. The one thing that I so I I've only seen the Sheffield United and the Silby friendlies this season so far, um, and I I didn't necessarily like like you say, Mark. I didn't necessarily see a team. I saw a bunch of players that were you know only just starting to get to know each other. Yes, we absolutely hammered Silby seven nil, but we should be doing that to a team of their stature. Um, but then again, you could turn around and say that Sheffield Wednesday should be doing it to us, which is what they then go ahead and do. Their fans would be just as right to turn around and say that uh, if they'd lost to us, that what what's going on? Just because it's pre-season doesn't mean that we should be losing to a League Two side. Um, do friendlies actually matter result-wise? You guys go and see them happen and have done for years, especially you, Jeremy. Um, does it really matter? Uh, no, the, res- the results don't matter at all. It's, it's all about the, the performance and it's all about players getting to know each other. Um, to to call one of Keith Curl's own phrases, it's all about getting to know their roles and responsibilities, which is something he says a lot. And I think that's what it's all about. It's about getting fitness and, and being ready for, for the, this Saturday, for the first game of the season. What goes on in the f- four or five weeks previous to that, results-wise, is, is really quite irrelevant. Um it's about getting the team shape sorted, getting the players fit, and also getting the players to, to know each other and trust each other. And um, hopefully, over the past six weeks, they've managed to go some way towards doing that. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think results, are obviously, they are relevant in pre-season, but I think you do want to see sort of small signs, don't you? Sort of patterns yeah. of play and creating chances, defending well, um, relationships building, all that sort of stuff. And I think... Um, if I'm honest, the Sheffield Wednesday game wasn't, wasn't concerning because it's too early to say that, but there were times in that game where you were a little bit, oh, this isn't right, this, this looks a bit bit off. Um, but then you, you know you look down at the team they had out, out that night and the likes of Barry Bannon and Stephen Fletcher and Jordan Rhodes and you know these are serious. Yeah, they were players. pretty good. Yeah, exactly. They, they were they were high class and they played some really good stuff that night. Um, but at the same time, you, you still at the back of your mind you're thinking after oh, last season and the relegation the season before, you're thinking oh. You know, this is not this is not ideal. But I did the bracket uh, the MK Dons game the other night, and that, that was a really good performance. I was um, very encouraged by the way they played. I thought MK Dons looked a little bit undercooked, um, but Northampton was you know superior team by by quite a distance. And you know, if if you want to take um, encouraging signs and you want to see a team creating chances, defending all that sort of stuff, and that's what they were doing. They were really impressive that night. And, that is exactly what they needed to, to sort of end pre-season and head into the, the first game with a with a win under the belts, a bit of confidence and, and feeling good about themselves. Yeah, I think the other thing about pre-season is that you're not you, you're never really sure what what work the players have been doing during the day. Certainly on evening matches, and there could easily be the case where they've trained in the morning, done a full training session, and then they're asked to play in the evening. Of course, the, the supporters don't see that; they just see the team turn up the game and expect them to play at the top of their game from the word go. But if they have done a full training session in the day, um, you know, then they are going to be a bit heavy and a bit weary, and they might start brightly and fade. Um, I remember years and years ago, Graham Carr did that one. The year they beat Chester five 0 on the opening day of the season, 
their, their preseason was terrible. They were losing games. They lost 5 0 up at Blythe Spartans or something. And uh, it, he basically was running them ragged during the day before the friendlies and getting them fit. And then by the time the first game came around, they, they went to Chester and won 5 0. So, you know, it, the results really don't matter. It's, it's everything about around the team, getting the team ready for that first game of the season. I think I would always ask a question is what, what are you learning? After every preseason game, first yeah. question I would ask the gaffer of any club is, what have you learned today that you didn't know about that team that's turned out 24 hours ago? And if you see progression in the gaffer's learning and understanding of where these players fit in or whether there's a problem with one of them or not, or whether they're going to gel as a team, then you're all right. That's with the trialists. Obviously, we had a couple of trialists have come in, he's tried them out, and straight away he, he sort of made his decision on those that they're, they're not what he needs. So, I mean, without the friendlies, he wouldn't know that. He would just see them in training and they'd impress him in training. So you need those friendlies to put them in the match environment and see if they're really what you need. And he has obviously decided on those two or three trialists that we've had that they're not what we need. So um, that is another reason for, for friendlies and another reason why they're useful. When we came on your show, Mark, back at the end of last season, you asked the question about whether you thought that, North, or whether we felt that Northampton fans were, you know, particularly harsh on their team and particularly impatient. Um, and you gave me stick for that, didn't you? And I did, I did a little bit. Yeah, I did a little bit. You put me on the spot and ruined me. Um, but basically, I, the, the question I've got is whether, bearing that in mind, what we, we've just talked about there with pre-season, you know, optimism has gone up and down over this last three weeks with, with these results. You know, we beat Sel- Selby 7-0 and we were going to win the league. We then went abroad to Spain and had two fairly decent draws, I think, three all against Bournemouth and one all against Coventry. Um, and then we come back and get hammered by Sheffield Wednesday. Sheffield United beat us, and I would say fairly comfortably after the first 20 minutes they were in control. We lose 1-0 to Brackley, and then you know, we are literally looking at it and going and you're seeing fans on social media, you know, basically saying, get rid of him now, get rid of the manager right now. It's not going to be a good season. And then on Friday, we beat MK Dons. And again, we're going to win the league. I mean, <laughs> it's it's that whole thing of, of the club for me. <laughs> yeah, getting, getting the club to manage expectations. I mean, I would sort of maybe turn around and say, well, Keith Curl and the the team at the club should be actually turning around and tempering fans' expectations all the way through. So making it clear to the fans that a loss doesn't matter, making it clear that a win doesn't matter. It's all about minutes in the legs and, like you said, Mark, learning something new from the players that he didn't know. I think if a manager starts turning around and starts going... Um, you know, we, we'll probably lose this one because they're Sheffield United. We'll probably lose this one because they're Sheffield Wednesday. I, I think that sets a, a bit of a sort of psychological thing. It, it Maybe in the fans, probably not in the players, but in the fans, um, you know, they've got their targets and I think they need to keep their targets internal, uh, especially on pre-season friendlies because it's about a learning exercise. And I think at the end of the day, as Jeremy's pointed out, you could point to numerous successful seasons for this club and you could have a look at the pre-season and say, God, we were awful at that pre-season and suddenly we're winning the league. Yeah, yeah, I think the pre-season is different because, yeah, there are times when you'll have a bad pre-season and then a great season. But I do think at the same time, pre-season do tell you stuff. I remember doing the, the um, 2015 pre-season before the title win and you could tell in that pre-season that they, they were serious sides. Um, you know, they were giving the likes of Birmingham and Derby proper games. 
Um, but I think, yeah, I think what you say there about tempering expectations, I think it's, it's a delicate balancing act, isn't it? Because if you come out and start sort of playing down expectations, fans are questioning the sort of ambition of the club and, the, you know, what they should be achieving. I think at the end of the day, fans are fans, football fans are fickle, you know, it's, you know win one week, you think you're going to win the league, lose next week, you think you're going to get relegated. I think you just have to accept that as part of part of football and that's part of the raw emotion of it, I guess. And I think at the end of the day, it's, you know, pre-season it does not matter in the grand scheme of things. And if they win against Walsall on Saturday, then everyone will be having a great time come Saturday evening and, you know, the optimism will be abound again. Yeah, I think Keith Carroll did sort of temper expectations, didn't he? I, I, certainly ahead of the two Sheffield games, he said he wanted to see the team exposed. He said he wanted to see the team stretched and he wanted to see the players under pressure, how they reacted under pressure um, and how they reacted without the ball. That's that's what he wanted from those two games. And he did say that prior to the matches. Um, and It was probably the one disappointing one was the Brackley one where, where the shoe was on the other foot and Northampton were going there as the team two divisions higher. And they go there and get turned over 1-0. Um, and then it comes out a couple of days later that perhaps they had had a training session in the day and were weary, but which Keith Curl didn't say at the time. Um, so I think they did temper expectations. And I think with, with fans, it, it just got it's just the way it is. I think it happens with Manchester United fans. It happens with Liverpool fans. It happens with fans across every club across the country. There, there's always going to be a section who are going to be up one minute and down the next. And it's just, it's just the way it is. And as James says, it's just the emotions of football. You know, and it, the other thing is, personality-wise, there are some fans who will always back a manager, will always support a manager. There's others who have got a reason they don't like the manager for whatever reason, and they will jump on the first the first thing that that manager does wrong, or that they perceive he's done wrong. They'll they'll jump on that and and use that as a you know something to hit him with and and try and bring him down, sort of thing. So, you know, I think as, as James said, it's just the emotion, and just hopefully it'll all go right on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let, let's have a look at these these new signings. Uh, the obvious question is obviously who stands out. So what I'm actually going to ask you guys is, are, is there any of our signings that actually stand out as a bit of a surprise signing for you? I suppose the one that was a bit of a surprise was Dane Oliver. For, for me, I mean, he's, he's just sort of player that hadn't really pulled up any trees um, with Morecambe or, or prior to that. But then you look at it again and he's probably... If you bring in, bring in Harry Smith, who's going to be your main front man, then he is sort of like for like uh, as a backup, perhaps. But he was one that you, when they signed him, you thought, well, that was a bit left field. Where, where did that one come from? Um, but as Curl said at the time, he's, he says he sees something in him that other managers haven't utilised. So hopefully he'll turn out to be one of those signings that one of those rare strikers that come here having not scored very many and scores loads. And like the other way around, which is what normally happens, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I'd echo those thoughts as well because Oliver is, is probably the one surprise one. But otherwise, I think it was Mark who said earlier that he, he's brought players that very much are, are similar to him. He's got that experience, that very, very driven, um, determined, point proof, all that sort of stuff. Um, so you go down the list of signings and, and not too many surprise me, really. I mean, I think they're um, very impressive uh, list of names um, and they're all players who, like you say, have got have got something to prove and I think that's that's clearly something he's earmarked and, and that's why he, he's gone out and got these players and he's identified them very early. I think that's that's one big positive is that he's got them in early. Um he's not he's not 
obviously there's a few that are coming a bit later, but by and large, the majority have come in early in the transfer window, and that's because he wants to take them, he wants to take them to Spain and he wants them to um, settle and gel as quickly as possible in time for the new season. And I think I think we we've, you know we started to see that in the NK Don's game that you know the, the team are, are coming together and you know, hopefully by Saturday there will be a, a cohesive and fluid team and we'll see that on the pitch. All I'd say is one surprise, which may sound odd as being a surprise for me, is Nicky Adams. I mean, he could have had a pick of clubs, let's be honest. Uh, and, and I'm glad he's come back here. And I think he's got lots to do with us again. But he could have gone anywhere, couldn't he? Yeah, he could. I think it has a very strong relationship between Adams and Curl. Though. I think they've they've got a mutual trust and a mutual appreciation of each other. So I think that was uh, Keith Curl was probably the key factor in, in Adams coming back to the Cobblers or, and as, as well of course he, he had a great time the year he was here before so yeah it was, it was, it, he is a, he's a quality player and as you say he could have I'd imagine he had plenty of offers um, but that is a good sign really that his, his relationship with Curl um, persuaded him that his future lay here I think you could say that for quite a few of the players at the time as well that Keith Curl seems to be a, obviously players always not going to slag off the manager when they just don't no. really play <laughs> The way they talk about him, and it feels like he's had a obviously a major part to play, and that that's a real sort of attraction for a lot of these players. So, you know, you've got to give credit to them for that. Um, and like I say, you know, Nicky Adams um, obviously played at Curl under um, under Curl at Carlisle, and yeah, I think I think that that is you know the one. Um, the one <laughs> it was a bit of a surprise when it came through. I must admit, I, I thought um, you know when he obviously left. A few years ago, he said he wanted to be close to home and all that. Um, but um, no, I mean, you know, it's, it's also a really good, really exciting signing. And, and not just that, but he's just exactly the type of player they've been crying out for since he left, basically. Yeah, I mean, what, one observation would, would make about Curl and the recruitment, I, I, think, I think this has been going on since basically January. They've been highlighting these players that they've brought in and the players they've wanted. There was a lot of work been going on behind the scenes. But also, Keith Curl is the first manager, really, since Chris Wilder. Um, that when he signs a player, he, he goes and meets them. He's, he's gone and met every player face to face. He's gone out of his wherever he's gone to. He's met them in the old days. It was in service stations, wouldn't it, and all that sort of stuff. But he's, he's gone and met the players at their home or at hotels or, or wherever, and he's spoken to them face to face. And he's, he's made them feel wanted, and he's he's shown them his vision for, for the club and how he sees the team and how he wants them to perform. And the last manager that did that was Chris Wilder. I mean, I, I, when when Chris Wilder signed players, we used to turn up at the ground. And Chris Wilder was always there when Buchanan signed, Adam signed. And it was always a case of Chris, Chris Wilder was there standing right beside you and he was talking to the player up and saying what a great player he is. This lad's going to do this, this, this lad's going to do that. Um, and once Wilder left, none of the managers who succeeded him did that. You turn up for a new sign-in and it would just be the player and his agent standing there. And a couple of times you say to them, well, what was your impression of whoever, of Rob Page or whoever it was? And they would say, well, I haven't actually met him. I haven't spoke to him yet. Um, but we've, we've spoken to such and such and people who know him. So, but Keith Curl has taken a page out of um, Chris Wilder's book and has gone and met every player. And he's been there at several of the times we've gone down for the player signings. He's been there as well to welcome them to the club. And for me, that's, I mean, that's a good sign for me because um, it always it always was a bit strange when you talk to a player who signed for a club and they would turn around and say they haven't actually spoken to the manager. Um, so hopefully that is a good sign. Uh, case does that is that you is that you basically saying that we're going to win the league again? 
Yeah, I think so. By about 13 yeah. points. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> but probably only be the second best team in the league. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Someone else would be better. I imagine we be Plymouth this year. That'll be the better team this year. <laughs> you mentioned before, Case, about the trialists and the fact that, you know, Keith did bring in some trialists yeah. before Spain so he could take them away to have a look yeah. at them. Um, there, were, there was a rumour that went around with regards to Robbie Simpson in the fact that, maybe it wasn't a rumour, maybe it was just an interpretation, but that he was really only at the club to gain fitness. There was never an intention to actually sign him. I know Neil had a big massive bee in his bonnet as soon as Robbie Simpson was named on the bench yeah. against United. I mean, was was there any actual intention of looking at him in terms to sign him or, or was it actually a case of your local come and train with yeah. us? And if so, give him space on the bench? Well, I, I don't think there is. There was. It's one of those things where perhaps he's brought him in to have a look at him and then as a last, not a last resort, that's a bit harsh, but it's, it's one of those things that perhaps if he gets down to the last week of uh, the window and they haven't got an extra squad member, maybe he would be the first in line to do that, but I think it's, I think a lot of clubs do this, where they have players who are, who are local and perhaps have a link with someone who's at the club, and they need to stay fit. They've got to go somewhere and, and train. So perhaps Robbie Simpson was just that player that um, asked to come along and train, and, and they've they've allowed him to come in because he, he didn't go to Spain or anything. Um, unlike Yebley, he went along to Spain because so obviously Yebley was obviously one they were seriously looking at. Um, but with the giving him time on the bench, it, perhaps it's just. I mean, the issue with that one, of course, is that Junior Marias has been sidelined. And, and they're giving time on the bench to a trialist from who's 32, whatever he is. Um, and that, that, that was that was what got people's backs up. But uh, the, the, the Junior Marais thing is, is another story altogether, which I'm not really sure what, what, what all that's about. Well, I think you've got to give Robbie... Uh, Curl will know in his mind, or you'll think he'll know in his mind about what yeah. he can get out of Junior Marais. He's seen enough of him play this season, so he's probably not seen enough of Robbie. But coming back to your point about um, local people coming in and using a club for training, well, it's just happened down the, up the road in Cambridge. Uh, Wes Houlihan's been there for a few weeks training. Uh, they were trying to sign him, but that was never really on the cards. He wanted to go abroad. But he, you know, he's had a relationship with Colin at, at, at Cambridge, and, uh, and, and that's led to something different for, for Wes. So I, I think, you know... It, for me, it was always about um, him being, you know, just using the local facilities, at, uh, as it were. I hope we were charging him uh, local council gym rates. That's all. <laughs> we, we've sort of looked at then, you know, the, the players that the Cobblers have, have brought in over the summer. Are there still, you know, players that we, that well, room to spare, I suppose. I mean, I personally think we still need another centre-back. I mean... Are there any particular positions that you guys think we should be still strengthening strengthening the squad in, James? Been saying it for about four years, but uh, <laughs> on the wing, um, I think I was actually doing a list of the players the other day, and I hadn't kind of realised just how short they are in wide areas. You think, obviously, Curl likes to play three at the back, so he play wing backs, and doesn't really matter too much. But there are going to be times when he does play four at the back, and you need two wide men. Um, and he likes to mix it up anyway, so I, you know I think that is going to be a potential issue. I think Nicky Adams and Sam Hoskins are the only sort of senior um, wide natural wide players anyway. You play other players there, but it's sort of putting, um, square pegs around holes a little bit. You know, you, you want natural width, and, and I think that is. And I think that's been seen in pre-season as well a little bit. They've been very over reliant on Adams a lot of when a midfielder gets it or when the fullback gets it, they're always looking to get it out to Adams and there's nothing down the left side. 
Um, so I would definitely say, uh, well, it wouldn't have to be a left winger, but uh, but a winger who, who can create. And I mean, I guess every club wants wants a creative winger who's got a bit of speed. Um, but that is definitely one area I'd say. I do agree with centre back as well because if he's going to go with three at the back, they've only got three experienced centre backs. Obviously, Jay Williams is very talented, but he's still quite young. Um, so if you get an injury there, then you're sort of um, in a bit of trouble. So I, I think a centre back and a creative wide player, and even potentially another forward if if Marais and um, Billy Waters leave. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that's what that's how I how I see it at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I'll be looking at both full-back areas as well as, I mean, as you say, you might play win-backs, you may not. There's the cover for both full-backs, uh, Joe Martin and uh, obviously Reese Hall-Johnson there. I think looking through pre-season, Sean Williams has been played at right-back, can he? He may well turn out to be a, that may well turn out to be his position, but um, I think he looks more happy in the centre of midfield. Um, so I'll be looking at a couple of full-backs. With the centre-backs, he, he may, I think he sees Joe Martin as cover for there as well and even Alan McCormack. So it depends on how big the squad is going to be and how much faith he's got in Joe Williams, really, whether they bring someone else in there. And as James says, if if Junior Morris and, and Billy Waters are going to move on, as as the manager seems to want them to, then uh, we definitely need another striker, someone with a bit of pace. And as, as again, as James said, what's something we've been saying for a long time is that the team needs that injection of pace. The one thing I want to pick you up on, James, is that you called Sam Hoskins a natural winger. Wow. I'm, I'm not sure every Cobblers fans would agree with you. <laughs> yeah, you've probably got a point. I mean, I'm not sure. It's the thing with Hoskins, he's got he's got a lot of positive attributes that you know that are to be admired, but I'm not quite sure what his best position is, where where he's best suited. Because I remember when he had a run of games in, in sort of the number ten role a couple of seasons back, and he, he was really really good there. Barely played there against us. Um, and he's always sort of been stuck wide and um, up front, and he, he can't really find that consistency in his game. Um, but he's obviously played wide in pre-season, and I think Kel's season is a, a wide player. Um, and he has, you know, he's one of the few players in the squad with, with a bit of pace. Um, so I think, unless something happens in the next few days, I think he'll be, assuming he goes for four for the back, he'll, he'll be playing in the, in a wide position on Saturday. It is a strange thing with Sam Hoskins, isn't it? Because I think you mentioned it the other day, James, that he's obviously now the longest serving player. And uh, yeah. the fact he sort of, as you say, divides opinion amongst the fans. Some some really like him, some don't seem to take to him. But as you say, every manager that's been there has, has used him, has used him a lot. It's not like he's been suddenly sidelined sitting in the stands. Every manager that's come in has, has utilised him and, and used him virtually week, week in, week out. So he's obviously doing something. They obviously see something in him. Um, but as you say, it's, it's finding the actual position where he can be most effective. Yeah, I think I think it's because they can trust him. I know obviously his goal record and his, his record isn't great, but you know what you're going to get from Hoskins. He's going to work very hard. He's going to track back. He's going to run at players. He's, you've got to admire his attitude. You know, he does get a bit of stick and he will be having bad games, but he never hides. He never shies away. He always keeps going, trying to beat his fans, keeps trying to get across into the box. And, I think that's what managers like in a player, don't they? They like that player who keeps going and keeps trying and the head doesn't go down. Um, and like I said, if he could just add that end product, he could be such a good player. He could, be, he could easily play a level above, but that is the difference, isn't it, between a, a good player and a very good player or a great player is that scoring goals, creating chances, all that sort of stuff. And that's what he's been missing, unfortunately. Indeed. 
I think I think one of the reasons Hoskins got a bit of stick last season is because what was in front of him was not really putting the ball away, and he was he was sort of having to do two jobs. And I know he um, got a little bit of stick about some of his attempts at goal. You, you know, I think if you could have a, a strike force in front of him who will start scoring, you know, twenty thirty goals. People won't care what he does in front of goal. They'll just care about what he does to get the ball to the goal. Yeah, I think you've got a good point there, to be fair, Mark. I mean, there, there are certain fans that, you know, that love a player like Sam Hoskins, somebody that works tire, tirelessly. I mean, just look at how much of a, you know, sort of hero status Scott McLeish got. Scott, Scott McLeish had an end product. Um, you know, yes, of course, he did score 20 goals a goal. He did score a lot, a, lot, a lot of goals, yeah, yeah. But he also ran around He did, yeah, yeah. That, that was really what got the fans, you know, excited and on his side. Um, I would say more than his goals. I think you're being a bit harsh on Scott McLeish there, Charles. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? A bit harsh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair a little bit. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he wouldn't come on the podcast, so I can be as harsh as <laughs> I <you> want to. Uh, <laughs> he said no. Uh, let's, t- let's look at League Two then as a whole. Um Obviously, some big names have come down from League One. Uh, you've got, uh, well, Kevin Van Veen Scunthorpe. Uh, well, if he stays there, of course, because he's too big for League Two. Um, you've got Richard O'Donnell's Bradford City, uh, again, if he stays there because he's too good for League Two. Um, but you've got plenty of big names coming down. Is there anyone that we should really be looking at putting our money on to win the title other than Northampton? I I really like Plymouth, I must say. I've I was looking through the clubs earlier today and, and who's signed who and managers and everything. And I have to say, I, I liked what Ryan Lowe did at Berry last season. Played some very good football, very attacking football. Um, and we all know what's going on there. The financial situation at Berry to, to achieve what he did uh, on that backdrop is very impressive. And I think he, I think he brought five five um, players down from Berry. Um, five, five or six. Um, and like the Danny Mayer and Tom Telford and that, and I think I'd be very surprised if they don't finish in the top three. I think them and them and um, Bradford will, will definitely be up there. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I agree with Plymouth. I think Plymouth will definitely be because I mean they're a big club at this level, and, and he seems to have brought in good players. Um, I'm not sure about Bradford. I know I've got family who, who support Bradford, and they're one of those clubs that they're such a massive. They've had a big turnover again this year, and and, and like Northampton, the Cobblers when they went down two years ago. You can never be certain that it's just because you've got good players and you've got a decent squad that it's going to work and you're going to get back. I think that, that they're a club in a bit of, in a bit of turmoil. Um, I know they'll always have the backing of the, the big home crowd behind them, but that again that that brings its own pressures anyway. Um, so yeah, I'd say Plymouth would be the ones to watch. Um, everyone else, I mean, if even if you think about last season, although Lincoln won the league by a decent margin, there wasn't a team that really really stood out. And you you watched and you thought, wow, what a team they are! Like the Cobblers were in 2016, who just blew teams away. There wasn't anything like that last year, and I'm, I'm pretty, I'm not sure there'll be one this year, unless it's going to be the Cobblers, of course. Um, so hopefully, um, the Cobblers will find themselves right at the top end, and uh, we'll be the team to beat. You're really selling uh, League Two football, there, Jeremy. <laughs> I didn't say it was competitive. It's, it's, you know, there wasn't a team that there wasn't a team that mate, you turned up and you thought, wow, we're going, what what a team they are. Right, so um, I'll chuck in two names that nobody's t- spoken about yet. Um, I will say I do agree with Plymouth, and I do think Bradford will be strong enough to sort of hold their own. Um, let's look at other clubs. Forest Green Rovers, I don't say they'll take the league, 
But I think they might be in for the playoffs and they might be the team that stop the Cobblers getting in from the playoffs if everybody's talking about the Cobblers being in the playoffs. Um, I don't think they've lost much and I think they've they've got one or two decent signings uh, as ever. And, and, and I think, you know, the owner is absolutely you know, mad on getting them into the championship and being a sustainable club in the championship. So let's look at that and let's look at the bottom. There's always one team that surprises and they're coming in and they've got money to burn, Salford City. And I think genuinely you can't rule them out because they will chuck cash at it right, left and centre. And um, if they haven't got a good side and they're struggling in the early part of this uh, the the season, watch them get a few more in the transfer window, especially if they feel they're outside the playoff area, they will they will go for it. Hmm. I think Colchester have been some good business as well. Colchester look like they've they brought in some good players and that they weren't far away last year. Then you obviously Mansfield just missed out. Uh, they brought in oh I can't remember his name. Nicky Maynard who will give them goals. Um so so they'll be there or thereabouts again. But it's just a case of whether there's going to be that team that really kicks in and kicks on and, and takes the league by storm. I'm, I'm not sure there will be. I think it'll be a another tight season. Um, and, you know, it could be anyone's really. On on the fans' uh, version of, of this podcast that we did yesterday, um, we had uh, one fan that, first of all, called Salford City a fake club. <laughs> um, and... Um, <laughs> Yeah, yes, exactly. Um, referred to them, or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, Describe them as being similar to a certain club from East Northampton that may have been. An <laughs> um, won't name that name. Um, and another club from down the M1 um, that, of course, has lots of cows around it. Um, we won't name them either. Um, and, and second of all, also um, a couple of the fans did say about Plymouth as well. They were definitely the, I think, the number one choice, it seemed, yeah. from the panel of fans that we had yesterday. Forest Green did turn up, which Danny will be happy with. He's not here again, uh, too busy at a book festival, um, because he's, he, he loves the bamboo kit. Uh, not sure that that's necessarily going to be what gets some promotion, but uh, you are right, Mark. They are going in the right direction. The one thing I'll say about Mansfield is that, they obviously stacked their manager, David Flickcroft, at the end of last season and, and rushed an old boy, John Dempster, has taken over. Yeah. That, that to me, is quite, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe that's surprising because you kind of look at Mansfield as a, as a club with maybe a little bit of money behind them that they would therefore go and get a, you know, an experience in quotation marks manager. Um, to actually get them out of the division, um, especially seeing as they were quite harsh on David Flickcroft by sacking him in the first place. Have you been to Mansfield, though? Uh, a couple of times, yes, and I've always walked away yeah, well, upset. Well, so let's all, I'd say, all I'd say <laughs> is, is it's going to be a big moment in a year's time when the Hilton Hotel opens up in the ground. Hmm. That's all I'll say. <laughs> uh, so let's have a look at actual Cobbler's expectations then. Uh, where do we think, or how do you think the season's going to go for us, Jeremy? Um, I'll be very disappointed if they're not, at least in the playoffs by the end of the season. Um I mean, we, as we've all said, you can never tell how the team is going to play and how, how the players are going to gel and if you're going to get, as, as John, I think James mentioned earlier, Nicky Adams being so crucial to the team. If he got injured, say, for a couple of months, um, he's, he's going to be so crucial to the creativity. So you can never be certain of anything. But I mean, if you just look at the squad and the players he's brought in um, and 
just look at last season. Those 19 draws they had last season. I mean, the team was pretty average last season, but it was only 10 points off top seven last year. And if they just turned a handful of those draws into wins, they could have been challenging even then. And at one point, they did look like they would end up challenging when they went above Newport when they beat them on that Tuesday night with Joe Powell's goal. And of course, Newport did go on. We went above them, Northampton went above them that night and then didn't make the playoffs and Newport did. So they weren't even that far away last year, really. So with the players I brought in and with the manager's determination, I would be very disappointed if it wasn't the top seven. And to be honest with you, I think they should be challenging for the top three. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. I think... Um... As it stands right now, with the squad they've got and everything, playoffs would be the minimum, I think, with a little, little push towards top three. Um, but obviously, there's still a month left of the, the transfer window. If they can get in those extra couple of players, a, a winger, forward, a centre back, um, I see absolutely no reason why they can't be challenging automatic promotion. Um, I think they've got almost every base covered. Um, I think Keith Gow is absolutely desperate to get that promotion in the CV and he's do anything he possibly can can do it. Um, and they've got, you look at the squad, you look at the characters in there, they've done it, they know what it takes. I just, yeah, it would be a huge disappointment if they, uh, if they were outside the top seven come May. Um, so, yeah, for me, they should be running inside the playoffs, if not top three. Playoffs guaranteed. I think top three guaranteed. Ooh, I, 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 I genuinely. Uh, yeah, and I'll probably be hung by it at the end of the season. You can record it and then play it on the, the cop show last game of the season when we're relegated to the National League. But, um, you know, genuinely, I can't see it getting better than this. Uh, you know, it seems the checkbook has been opened uh, more than it has been in the past. It seems that the gaffer's got his wish in the type of players that he wants, and he's building a team around his vision. And as I said himself and other people have high personal targets there and you can't underestimate that there, there are going to be some slogs and i tell you what the games which may decide this are the games which i think are absolutely abysmal and me and james have just chatted off air about this carlisle away on a tuesday night carlisle home on a tuesday night while well, the away one more than anything it's those horrible games where you're traveling hundreds of miles midweek if you lose them or you draw them it gets a bit tricky I think if you can walk away from Carlisle with three points in the bag, that don't half make a difference. And that's why I'm confident top three is there. Bold. That is very, very bold, I will say. Get down the bookies. Indeed, yes. Let's go to Saturday then. Obviously, we're playing Walsall at home. That is the first game of the season. That is what we're building up to now. Uh, let's get a let's get a nice little prediction. I mean, you guys, Jer- James especially, you'll be used to making a prediction for the game. Not very good. Um, if this is different to the one that you give in the Chronicle, then that's going to be really bad. Uh, so I hope you remember what you've done. Um, so let, let's go with you first, James. What's your prediction for the game on Saturday? Uh, well, I think before the MPDons game, I wasn't sure, but after the way they played against MPDons and the general mood around the club, I've got a good feeling. I think 2 0. 2 0 coppers. Mark? One all draw. After all that optimism, we're coming down a level. Because, I, oh. because the first game is normally the one that gets chucked away and then everybody starts worrying about the future. So let's get the bad result out of the way first. I don't think one all is a bad result. I think it will be a draw. I think they've still got something in them all. And of course, they, you know, they've, got, they've got something to fight for as well. So um, I wouldn't 
I wouldn't cry at a draw for that first game. You know, I really wouldn't. And Jeremy? Yeah, I agree with Mark. I think it'll be a one-all draw. The heart says they'll go out and win, but the Coppers haven't been great traditionally on, on the opening day of the season. There's been a few draws at home and and the odd defeat like last season. So I think one-all as well. I'll go for a one-all draw. Um, and I think it's probably quite happy with that. Warsaw have brought in 13 players as well. So it's going to be quite... I think both teams between them brought in 25 players over the summer. So it might be two teams that are a little bit still getting to know each other. Um, and I think it'll be a stalemate. So yeah, one-all one all for me. Still going for a 5-1 win, Neil? <laughs> Absolutely, mate. Yeah, 5-1. Easy. Show face the hat-trick. oh dear well there's some interesting thoughts there definitely Uh, our thanks to Mark Webber James Hennigan and Jeremy Casey for joining me and Neil don't forget if you're listening to this on the day release you can hear Keith Curl on Radio Northampton with Mark between is it six and seven Mark it is indeed and then after that, he'll be coming straight down to the PTS Academy Stadium at Sixfields to give it its full name for the Fans Forum event hosted by myself and Neil. You decide which one you want to go to. It's going to be ours. The fun starts at half seven. We're looking forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Goodbye. Support the podcast on Patreon by joining the It's All Cobblers to Me fan club. Every month, you'll receive access to exclusive bonus content, such as our Meet the Staff series, hear our player interviews before anyone else, and be invited to regular meetups. By joining the fan club, you'll be helping us to continue our sponsorship of NTFC women's player Abby Bruin and enable us to keep the podcast and all our other content going to the high standards you expect. To join the fan club, go to patreon.com forward slash cobblers to me.